There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello. You're listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF, and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we are both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Gabriella. And we are both in Hyde Park together. Park, we're socially distance walking, and we thought we'd say hey to you guys while we were seeing each other's faces because it's just so all so delightful. It's so weird. I don't there's like birds singing, I can see Emma's face. It's just a beautiful thing from a two meter distance ish. Ish. Um, how is everyone on this, this glorious day? I hope it is glorious. It's glorious today. This weekend's been bloody lovely, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely has. I've been to park twice. Um, I'm in London again. Yes. It's nice to be back in London in some ways. In some ways, not nice to be. I mean, it's been a bit of a depressing weekend for London. Yeah, yeah like massively. Yeah. Been, have you seen the, the far right protests from yesterday? I've depressed me more than ever, anything I've ever seen in my life. So that's not good about London. No. Um, yeah, no, it's been a bit of a weird one protest wise. And made us all feel a bit sad about everything, really. But yeah, let's not give those pricks any airtime. Um, so yeah, other than that, I'm pretty chipper. Got my uh, got my coffee. I've got a nice latte, which you bought for me. It was so nice of you. Yeah, because I'm a nice person. She is a nice person, listeners. Um, <laughs> I think I think we just both sound like weirdly content. Yeah. I think. Well, I mean, it's been a while. It's just so, such a delight. It's a fucking delight to see you. Um, should we talk about this episode while we're just like strolling? Yeah. Um, this episode. Um, actually, firstly, I think we should talk about what's going on with Liz and Nick because we're gonna we're about to have a big reveal. Oh my god, I'm so excited. <gasps> I I do already know the end, what's going on, obviously, but I'm so excited. <laughs> Um, so they, they're deciding, they're making the decision today, well they made it a few weeks ago, but they're making the decision in this episode about whether to go for adoption or um, egg donation and I like, if I were listening I maybe would start placing bets. That's a great idea, um, but you're going to hear quite soon so maybe there's not enough time to place a bet, maybe between your, your friend or your, your partner, if you're sitting there you could like place a small bet, like a fiver or something. Just spice it up. 
Um, and then after that, like bombshell. Yeah, we've got a lovely interview with Cecil Savla, who is um, she is a digital marketeer, but also presence on on the socials. Um, she's been doing lots of interviews, but she's been on BBC, hasn't she? Talking about her experience. Um, and she does food writing as well, which um, I read some of her stuff and then I just got really sad about not going to restaurants anymore. But, but that does make me like her a lot more because if she writes about food, then that's pretty cool in my book. But she is another uh, victim of the corona lockdown crisis. So she's going to tell us all about that. Also, mad props to the guy who just cycled past us listening to actual tunes while on his bike. Absolutely great summer moment there. recording a podcast here mate like sorry do you mind and also the birds can you shut up as well <laughs> and also if the wind is ruining this entire recording then that's gonna be sad anyway yeah so sea towels coming up and then we're talking to professor tim we're talking about human papillomavirus yeah yeah um yeah it's a what's well, a kind of important subject that lots of people have and lots of people are embarrassed about i've got it have you? Yeah, I literally do have it. <laughs> I'm just let's just say I'm not someone who slept around a lot, but got you HPV. Really are not definitely not someone who slept around a lot. <laughs> don't know, don't know who I caught that off. <laughs> oh my god, this is great revelatory episode. Um, yeah, I think it, well, it's incredibly common. So um, and yeah, and it's a concern when it comes to pregnancy and fertility. Well, we'll see what Professor Tim has to say about it. Anyway, um, in the meantime, you can follow us on socials. You can follow us on Instagram. At Big Fat Negative. Uh, Twitter. At Big Fat Negative. Facebook. Big Fat Negative. Uh, you can email us. Big Fat Negative Podcast at gmail.com. And please enjoy the show. Oh, wait. Before you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe. Like and subscribe, guys. Do it now. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. Yeah? How the devil are you? Well, I've I've struggled this week, if I'm honest. I have struggled this week. So we are now on week four of lockdown. Is that right? About that, yeah. Yeah, so... Week forever. Week forever of lockdown. And it's, yeah, it's really hit me this week, I think, that life being back to normal is very unknown right now. Yeah. Have you found that it's not really affected you? I don't know. It feels just like everything's on pause. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, neither good nor bad for me. I don't know. It just feels like everything's stopped. There's nothing I can do. I think it it doesn't help that I I can't work at the moment. Mm-hmm. It all feels a bit in limbo. But and, and you haven't found that's affected your mental health? Not too badly, no. I think I've been I, I'm getting back to work soon, so that'll help get a routine more. But everyone's in the same situation, so... That's wise words there, Fox. Yeah. Wise words. Very wise. Anyway, would you like to tell the... I thought we were going to go more into why you had a hard week this week. Oh yeah, sure. Um, just felt really static. I felt quite demotivated. Um, I've been listening back to the podcast 
as it's been going out, um, which has been like good and bad because it feels as though we've come a long way. Um, I've got that fat boy slim song in my head, sorry. Um, through the hard times and the good. Um, anyway, no, it feels like we've come a long way, but it also makes me feel sad listening to how hopeful we were that this year was going to be different. I think that sums up IVF in general, doesn't it, really? And, and our experience in some ways, of IVF, yeah. Sometimes you're really, really hopeful, and then a week later... I think more so as well our experience of IVF, because... We've just had that massive roller coaster where, you know, everything has been just tossed up in the air and we're never really sure where we stand with it all. So listening back to me being all, you know, hopeful about this is going to be our year and we're going to be in a really different place by the end of the year than we were in the beginning. And the realities of that are getting further and further away. Also, I think it reminds us, reminds me that every time you think there's, well, there's nothing else that could go wrong. That's, that's, we've experienced, oh, no. It's the coronavirus bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know is a bigger deal to other people, as, uh, but. I mean, we didn't everything's foresee it. Rel- everything's relative and. Uh, it is, yeah. Yeah, we did, definitely just, did not foresee this one, no. did we? Indeed, we did not. So, despite us having, well, I say us, me having quite an up and down week, um, I felt like I needed to do something in order to kind of pull myself out of the doldrums. So we sat and had a bit of a chat, and um, we've we've come to a decision about what we're going to do next. <laughs> we don't have proper sound effects. Would you like to share? I think you should share, to be honest. So we've decided we're going to go ahead and do donor treatment. Um, we've been really quite specific about, um, or prescriptive, I guess, is the right word, about what we're going to do. So we're definitely going to do one more cycle with a donor. Um and if that's a no-go, then that's it. And there's no backsies this time. Because I cannot carry on my life waiting to make decisions about whether or not to do more IVF. And what was it that led you to this, or led us to this decision? Well, um, I think it was a lot to do with looking back or looking at the potential of the rest of my life and thinking about the thing that I would regret and if it would be a regret of mine to not just try one more time. Um, And I think it probably would be. And I think that actually um, I didn't massively ever emotionally connect with adoption even when we went to the information evening and you know we've read these books and we've heard people's stories and we've spoken with people and it just never fully connected with me emotionally and I think that was probably quite telling um not to say that that's not something that I can invest in in the future 
um, emotionally. I think there was just that blockade in my heart. I think you're always leaning towards doing that rather than adoption. Yeah, I I think I probably was. Um, and I think probably I was because it was an option, because it was another bite of the cherry. It was another shot at potentially having that, as you said, you know, before bit of normality in our lives. Um, you know, I've had messages from a couple of, from quite a few ladies who've, you know, been successful with donor conception and it is almost like they then get that bit of normality that we crave so, so badly. Um, and I'm just not quite ready to give up on that yet, I don't think. And I, that's why probably I, I don't feel like I could have fully connected with adoption because there was that option still out there and I never thought it was fair to drive down a road that I wasn't f- fully committed to. No. How do you feel now that we've made a decision? Well, it was positive if we could have carried on straight away. Um, it was good. It's been good to make a decision after the uncertainty of the last failed round. Yeah. When it felt like a full stop almost. Yeah. It definitely feels as though we've got, well, we will have at some stage, some unknown months in the future, some momentum again. Yeah. I mean, you never know when this podcast goes out, we might be out of lockdown. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, I tell you what I'm feeling. I'm fucking terrified. <laughs> um, because even though we've made this decision, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in that fifty-one percent. I'm sure that this is what I want. That little forty-nine percent of me is jumping up and down, going, "But what if it's the wrong thing to do?" What if it goes tits up? What if you put yourself in the hope zone again and your IVF luck keeps going as it has done and just goes on the swanee? I'm a bit worried because it's... The pressure's on me. (laughs) Come on, guys. uh, What if we spend all this money and there was... My guys weren't performing as they should. Then that's what we've done. I'm I'm not I'm not saying that because I you know I'm thinking that that's going to happen. I'm saying it because factually that's what will have happened, and we'll know then that probably us having a genetic child together is not the right thing, and then we close that door and we open the next one. Because the one thing that we know for certain is that we want a family. Indeed. So, like, someone said to me, if you don't think it's going to work, then why why are you even bothering? Which is a very valid point, you know. So we can't think that way. We can't think that, you know, I understand that you feel pressure, but we can't think, oh, but what happens if this goes wrong and this goes wrong? Because we know I'm an overthinker, and the more things like that you put into my head, <laughs> the, more, the more things I'm going to overthink about. Um, and I'm already scared enough as it is. Yeah, me too. I was going to say, it sounds like you feel very similarly to me. Yes. 
I mean, ultimately, it's more IVF, isn't it? It's more putting our hearts, hopes and money in the hands of science. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I still think um, adoption is very viable. And it's something that does excite me. So if this space is still at that, if that's... It's, it's really difficult to talk about to not talk about adoption, I think, as a as a third option, which you know it it really is not a third option no. at all. We'll um, do it tomorrow. Yeah, um, I think if we could do it both at the same time, go for it. And I'm not mean whichever one's successful first. I mean, just all I'll of have, it. Yeah. Just have them all. Come on. Um, I just feel like while there's still that element of scientific hope I'm just not sure that I can fully close that door yet and I feel like a really bad person no um I feel like a really bad person and the only reason I'm voicing these concerns or these deep dark feelings out loud is because I'm hoping that there is you know hopefully there's people out there who feel the same way and who if I had to hear someone else say it might make them feel a little bit better was it you again that a bit emotional that uh, Brent's got talent the other, the other day? Yeah, with the little boy. With the little boy in the fostering. Was that the one? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll have them all. Well, I mean, I am due my period, so it's probably got quite a bit to do with the fact that I'm so emotional. I cried at an episode of New Amsterdam earlier on because a lady had to give her dog away. Anyone would. I mean, it was really sad, but... I'm at what happened then? Did they get the dog back? Um, we didn't get to find out. Oh, that's just disappointing. Yeah. I don't watch it. I've seen anything I would be interested in. Something <laughs> that pulls my heartstrings. Yeah, yeah. So having decided that we are going to go for a donor, we then told our parents, who I think were quite unsurprised. Yeah. And um, generally very supportive. Um, in in all senses, really, I think I don't know. It's it's one of those things that you are potentially sharing quite an intimate thing with your family, i.e., that possibly a genetic child or a child of yours, sorry, is not going to be genetically linked to one of you, um, and you fear a bit of judgment. I think. I mean, I certainly, I certainly do. Um, Especially because, as we all know, I feel like a bad person because I'm choosing this at the moment as an option over adoption. Um, It does make me feel... It does make that fear of judgment a lot more significant. Um, But, you know, everyone was really cool about it, weren't they? Yeah, I think there's many people can judge, really, because not many people realistically are in our position... That have to make this decision. No. In the long run. No, and we've both come. You know, we've, we're both very um, open people. So we come from we come from a breed of open people. Because we've we come from a position where we found out we can't have children just without a little help, and then we've had to make decisions to do IVF. Then we've gone for IVF, and that hasn't worked as we wanted it to. Mm. And now we've had to make this decision again. So. We're too we're too too deep into this. 
we are very deep into this. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. So, yeah, the fear of judgment of telling our families was completely unfounded and everyone was really supportive of it. Um, Just got to get out of this lockdown now and figure out what we do next, I think. Um, Take it they don't do home visits. Not that that's allowed anyway, but... No, it's not allowed. I don't think they do home visits, no. Um, So the next step is to more Can't put my sample in 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 the post. No. I mean, you could, but Royal Mail probably wouldn't be very happy about that. I doubt they get it there in an hour anyway. No, that's true. That's true. Um, back to anyway. Back to more. See, I was going to say what what our next next plan is, next step is. You done with the sperm chat? Sure. Okay, great. I thought it was a valid concern. It was a valid concern. Um, so next, we're going to be seriously um, searching the donor bank because I think we are going to go with the London Women's Clinic. We know them; we've been there before. Um, and they do have a uh, bank of donors with frozen eggs ready to go, um, which means that hopefully, once this is all done with, we'll have made some moves and some decisions and we won't be waiting that long. Um, I say that with, you know, very big fingers crossed because we know our luck. So anyway, so that's what we're going to do next. So... Donor cycle it is, and uh, just need to find us some eggs now. Nip down to Tesco's. I don't think there's that kind of eggs, love. Yeah, no, good to the big one. Okay, fair enough. So uh, we'll be off to Tesco's, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. you very much for having me you know yours was the first podcast that i listened to when i discovered the ttc community so uh really? it is an honor to be here thank you very Aww. much yes i laughed and i cried so nice it was after my uh, second cycle failed so i was extremely emotional <laughs> but oh, uh, it hit me in all the right places oh what a lovely thank thing you. to say <laughs> um well well in that case you know exactly what's gonna mm-hmm. happen next which is that we're gonna ask you about our journey your journey. journey yeah it is a word that I find extremely annoying but it sort of encompasses the experience quite nicely and it does we've tried and really Neil and I are still on it. <laughs> so the journey yeah uh, my husband Neil and I I guess it all started when we had a surprise uh, natural pregnancy about four years ago mm. and it was actually Christmas day when we found out which was sort of our little festive uh, miracle mm. unfortunately it just it wasn't meant to be and a few weeks later we went on to have a miscarriage which was absolutely devastating. But in a way, the plus side was that we realised how much, well, I realised how much I wanted to have children. Right. So up until that point, Neil was the one who was ready to start a family and had been for a few years. But I was sort of reluctant for various reasons. I was worried about losing my independence and identity. And then physically just being pregnant as well was a bit scary. Mm. And yeah, so it wasn't an entirely negative experience from that perspective. But I also realised that we'd been married for eight years at that point and it was our sole pregnancy. So the alarm bells were really sounding loudly. So it was sort of a catalyst for us to be a bit more proactive in our family building plans. So we went to the GP. We had a year of um, basic tests and uh, appointments and we embarked on our first round of IVF. Unfortunately, that was unsuccessful and we didn't qualify for a second round because I didn't have any embryos to freeze. And so we would have had to pay for a second round at that point. And we decided to follow the advice of some friends and family who recommended a private clinic where they'd had success. Mm. We then went on to have two unsuccessful rounds there, unfortunately. Um, But that's where the donor conversation first started. And that planted the seed at that point. We changed clinics after two cycles at the private clinic because our previous one only offered known donor cycles and we didn't have anyone to bring to the table. It wasn't an option for us. So we thought if we change clinics, we can have another fresh cycle, which would be our fourth. And then if that didn't work, we could also explore the possibility of an anonymous uh, donor cycle. And so that sort of brings us up to the present. And we started our current and fourth cycle at the end of February uh, went as far as the egg collection and then COVID came along and ruined all of our plans, closed all the clinics and uh, we froze our embryos. But we were meant to have a little bit of a delay anyway, as we were doing um, pre-genetic screening for the first time. So our embryos were frozen and then um, a biopsy taken. So we were waiting 
for about a month, uh, well, a couple of weeks for the results mm. and then a month to be at the right point in my cycle to start the uh, transfer. And that's the bit that got delayed due to COVID-19. Mm. So at this stage now, I'm waiting for my bleed, as they call it. And then um, I'll be able to prep my lining and, and move on with the frozen embryo transfer, which hopefully should be within a matter of days. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So we caught you at a crucial wow. time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I'm lucky. I heard that some people were in the middle of stimulations mm. and yeah. um, then everything just shut down, which I, yeah. I can't imagine what that feels like. Oh. And so why um, why did you start having the conversation about donor eggs? Was there um, had you gotten information about why the other cycles hadn't worked potentially? Or So the conversation about donor eggs came up because in the first few cycles, we only ever got about three to four eggs. The most I've ever harvested has been six. And so that points to a low ovarian reserve. And we didn't get that diagnosis until later down the line. And that was one of the um, options that came up during our debrief. So whether we would go ahead with a fresh cycle, it wasn't looking too bad. But, you know, if we'd considered a donor cycle, then the success rates would be higher. How have you approached that decision? What's it? Have you kind of... You're obviously about to do a cycle with your own eggs, Mm -hmm. but how are you feeling about donor? I think I've had some time to get my head around it, so I'm okay. I feel quite optimistic about the process, but uh, there are quite a few concerns, I guess. Um, My main one would be, is it fair? Is it selfish to go ahead with an anonymous donor? Ideally, it would be great if we could uh, introduce someone else into the process and we know them, we're comfortable, but it's quite invasive, really intense. They would also have to prep themselves and do the injections, not to mention the cost and the counselling. So I, I don't know if I'd feel comfortable asking someone, really. Um, but then with anonymous donors, yeah, there is that element of selfishness. And then also for the child, how would I start to talk to them about it? At which point, you know, how would I introduce that? It's not so much what other people would think that really doesn't bother me so much, but uh, just how would the child feel about it? And are we just being selfish, going ahead with our dreams and not considering that so much? And then I think the possible rejection as well, once they do find out how they were conceived, would they look at us differently? Would they judge us for making that decision? Would they reject us ultimately? Mm. I think that's a real fear. It's so complex. Yeah. Yeah. And then also there aren't that many Asian donors as well, which is uh, probably why it takes people a lot longer. But yeah, to go I did want to come route. on to that. Yeah, I think it's probably because people don't think to do that. There's not a lot of promotional marketing around that point. So even if we did go down the donor route, we'd be looking at maybe a Spanish donor as well, because our clinic um, is a satellite clinic in London. They're actually a Spanish clinic. And so they have at least 10 clinics over in Spain in various locations And that's one of the reasons why we chose them, because it would speed up the process a lot. The characteristics as well, the features are quite similar in the sense, Mm. dark hair, darker complexion, dark eyes. So and we would, by the sounds of it, have a lot more information about the donor's background as well, which is important, of course. Um, You kind of segued onto our next question a little bit there, talking about the kind of going through fertility treatment when you are Asian and part of the Indian community. You've spoken about the need to destigmatize de- fertility treatment. I mean, what, why is the stigma there and how does it manifest itself? I think that's such an extensive topic that we could actually dedicate a uh-huh. whole podcast series to it. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> South Asian communities 
because they're patriarchal, it's really hard to discuss mm -hmm. anything to do with women's bodies in general and female mm -hmm. diseases in inverted commas, even amongst women. So with men, it's even more difficult. And mm -hmm. actually, last night, I um, put up a post on Instagram about a documentary that I watched on Netflix called uh, Period, End of Sentence. And it's about the stigma associated with periods. So if we go right back even before fertility, we're really not even comfortable saying the word period sometimes. It's just considered as something dirty and shameful and embarrassing. Yeah. And so yeah. if we can't even talk about that and be aware of our cycles, it's even more difficult to talk about fertility. And I think there's a lack of knowledge as well, especially in rural communities in India where this documentary was mm -hmm. based. And it, it was really sad to see that, the expressions on these women's faces when the interviewer mentioned the word period, they, they just were so embarrassed. So when it mm -hmm. comes to fertility and if there are any issues, I think the expectation is within the first year or two of being married, you should have your first child, sort of an unspoken rule, really. Um, and you may not even be ready for that. In our case, I was living with my in-laws for the first two years of our marriage. And so mm -hmm. the thought hadn't really crossed our minds. We weren't ready we didn't live together before yeah. we got married. And so we wanted to just enjoy a bit of that time. Once we found our mm. own place, we wanted to make the most of our independence and live life a little bit. And then before you know it, four, five, six years have gone by. And um, that's when we started thinking, OK, we should probably settle down a little bit and start having, you know, considering family planning. But I think if you're struggling to conceive at that time within those first couple of years of marriage it's really hard to speak up about it because you'll just get these incessant comments and questions would be something like uh, the need to hurry up and have children before your womb shrivels up and it'll be too late you know the biological clock is one. ticking yeah that was something that uh, I heard and I wasn't actually trying to have a baby at that point but if I had been it just would have been like being poked in uh, an open wound and really stuck Dagger. Yeah. yeah, it would have been like a dagger to the heart. But as it was, it was just mm -hmm. mortifying and really embarrassing because it was sort of in a at a family gathering. But things like that, to even just questions uh, about when are you thinking about having kids and your career can wait, etc. So it's the whole yeah. spectrum of mildly offensive to really. Wow. Did they say that out mm. loud? <laughs> um, and it's always I feel that these comments are well intentioned. Anything that has been said to me even the most offensive ones, I don't think it's been said with malice and uh -huh. people don't realise how much it hurts. I think it's just a natural question really to ask when someone's having children and because now I'm so sort of immersed in the TTC bubble, I realise yeah. how painful that can be. But uh, not everybody has that sort of awareness and education. Um, no. And then there's so many Especially other students. the generations who've gone before us. Mm, yeah sometimes true <laughs> and so along with periods and infertility there's also the stigma of just having one child or if you do have children if they're all daughters that is a problem as well because sons are revered in South Asian communities for kind of social and economic and religious reasons they perform the last rites at uh, their parents funerals after they get married they stay traditionally with um, their family in the family home and uh, support their parents financially as well as uh, they get older. So just having one child is problematic too. And then male infertility. If all of these topics were not uh, were already difficult to talk about, then uh, if, a, mm -hmm. if a male 
uh, factor infertility diagnosis is given, that's even more difficult to handle because a woman is often blamed. And so you won't want to speak out about it because you assume that you'll be blamed for something that isn't your fault. And then you're not about to say, well, actually, it's not me. It's my husband, you know, out of respect. And yeah. And then, I, yeah, it's, it's just difficult in general. And even speaking to my husband, he recently was on, we did our first live interview on uh, BBC Asian Network a couple of weeks ago and he spoke for the first time publicly about mental health and anxiety and how anxious he felt going through those first few cycles when I was dealing with it and he felt Mm. that his role was to support me and not really to discuss his emotions so much I took priority yeah and he sort of suppressed his feelings which eventually bubbled up and even though I was asking about it he didn't really want to open up that box you know, and crumble just to be my rock, basically. So, Good but for it him is for talking men are often it, forgotten, unfortunately. Mm. They are definitely the focus yeah. when you're going through fertility treatment is on the women, woman, even if it is male factor as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the old you've got the easy bit. Yeah, yeah, that everyone's heard. Yeah. Um. So you so you did that interview on um, BBC Asian Network. What was the reaction from the listeners? It was fantastic, actually. From um, from everybody, from friends and family and people phoning in. And it's very rare to hear Asian males talking about fertility and their feelings in general. I think it, it takes a lot for them to to work up the courage to, to say, I felt anxious and I felt helpless and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to say. And Neil was also the one who was administering the intramuscular injections for me because I was fine with all of the subcutaneous ones. But in a couple yeah. of my cycles, I had to take the two inch, the dreaded two inch progesterone uh, injections, which goes into the backside or in the thigh. Yeah. And I just couldn't do that. I tried to work up the Hard courage to, to do it myself. Oh, yeah, that too. It was just, yeah, my courage failed me. And so thankfully, he was able to do it. But to to administer an injection while your partner's crying and upset and you know that it hurts as well but you have to inflict that pain on someone it's really really difficult and we did mm-hmm. that for about two weeks twice yeah. somehow my husband didn't have a problem with doing that <laughs> sadistic john <laughs> now that's interesting yeah that's worth a separate conversation um, absolutely so i mean obviously you're doing a really good job of trying to to kind of change that situation. Um, what else do you think needs to happen to kind of move the conversation forward and make it make it okay, I guess, for for people to go through this and not feel like you know not feel ashamed by it? It's a good question. I think things are changing. People are starting to speak out a bit more. But like I said. I'm sort of in that TTC bubble on social media, on Instagram. Yeah, everyone's but, talking about their ovaries. Oh, God, yeah. So it's very normal for me. And I've been speaking about this now since Mother's Day last year. And that's when I published my initial blog post about the miscarriage and then the first two cycles and how different they were on the NHS and in the private clinic as well. And the response to that was really overwhelming. I thought that I would actually get some criticism from people saying that I was bringing shame on my family and community or that maybe I was being selfish by doing IVF and I should just accept that this is nature's wish and God's will uh, Mm. or even other people saying I was doing it for the attention maybe but it was nothing like that I was just inundated with kindness and compassion and support and thanked I had a lot of messages from friends and family and strangers just saying that 
they thought I was really brave for speaking out and that they wished that more people would do that because it made them feel less alone and, and less ashamed because unfortunately the face of infertility is still predominantly white. You don't see or hear many Asian voices because it is such a stigma and I really hope that by talking about it, publishing these posts and doing these interviews that it reaches the people who really need the support because it isn't your fault. So I just want people to feel less alone, less ashamed and less abnormal. Um, but since you since you did that interview and since you published that blog post um, last year, have you seen a change in, in how the community reacts to infertility and how open it is? I have done. And I think because I've been more open in talking to people about it, they feel more comfortable asking me questions about the process, uh, what's going on, the latest with the clinics as well. You know, some people were saying we heard they're closed. How does that affect you? And how do you feel about that? And what's, what are the next steps? Whereas before, people didn't really talk to me about it that much. It would just be the questions of when are you having kids and what's happening? You know, the usual kind of indiscreet uh, comments. So there is a change, but I appreciate that it takes time because we've been keeping quiet about it for so long. And there are many people who would like to talk about it, but they can't because they have to take their partner or their family's feelings into consideration, which is perfectly understandable. Or they just don't feel quite brave enough to put themselves out there like that. It is makes you feel very vulnerable when you're sharing something so personal. And you do open yourself up to criticism, and that's a fear. But you, I didn't get any of that. Just people grateful that there are now Indians talking about it. And it does affect us because infertility doesn't discriminate. I always think that our, our like online TTC community is, is really like kind of gentle and almost bubble wrapped and like going out into the big wide world like going and doing interviews on the Asian network and things like that very brave thank you I've seen a rise in um Asian-led TTC accounts as well on Instagram which I think is fantastic there's there's a lot more so um, I'm happy for anyone to DM me and then I can send them the, the links as well there's so many resources out there so I think my main message is for people to not feel alone because they're they're really not um going back slightly um and kind of into your journey a little bit when you were when they started to talk to you about um having low ovarian reserve did you have any idea about what that meant for you or kind of have any inkling that that was going to be the case must have been quite shocking I think I sort of suspected that that was the case given that they'd only got three or four eggs each time Mm. so it wasn't a massive shock as such but it's still really disappointing. And in a way, it's a relief that there is some diagnosis. It's not just the the old unexplained infertility thing, which is highly frustrating. But we've had all the tests, you know, the hycosis, you know, checking in the fallopian tubes and all the blood tests and things. So, you know, I'm totally fine with needles and scans and good old wonder is not a problem. And you sort of laugh at it after a certain point. But yeah, I think it was a relief to have that diagnosis and then to be able to have the options spelt out, okay, well, now we know what the problem is, what, are, yeah, what is enough. the potential solution. And you've had um, very different degrees of intensity when it comes to your IVF protocols. Mm. Um, I mean, can you kind of talk about how they made you feel? Like one thing I always found was a long protocol made me want to kill myself because it was just so, just so much waiting. The waiting is a killer. So when um, I was being asked a lot during... Uh, 
the early lockdown period, how I felt about our IVF being put on hold. And it just is more waiting on top of waiting on top of waiting, because that's all you do. You wait for your blood test and then your scan. You go to a different floor and get something else done. See another consultant and wait to get your prescription, go to the pharmacy and wait some more. And then the dreaded two week wait right at the end just to add insult to injury. My NHS cycle, it, in hindsight, it feels very light when I look back on it now compared to the private clinic. But at the time, it was just so overwhelming because I think I was in denial that I had to mm-hmm. seek fertility treatment. And so I was just yeah. going through the motions and yeah, the jargon. Other do IVF. Yeah, exactly. And it just all went over my head. And I was so glad that Neil was with me in the consultation because I didn't make any notes. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. really listening, to be honest. And, you know, he was yeah, paying attention. Class- classic. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> I know. It's just all like b- being bombarded. It was. I, I was just, like, I'll remember everything. Yeah, like a rabbit in headlights. You know, I had no yeah, idea, yeah. you know, and it felt so weird and surreal. And then mm-hmm. um, the large box of meds arrived at my door and I was taking it up the stairs and when I was unwrapping everything, I saw the syringes and needles and all the meds and instructions, the sharps bin, and I just yeah. sunk to my knees and bawled my eyes out because it just felt wrong. I thought, why are we here? Do we really need to do this? Do I need to inject myself in order to get yeah. pregnant? Should we not just accept that I can't get pregnant and move on? Because <laughs> this is horrendous. This yeah. isn't normal. I hate and, that feeling of like, if only I didn't want a baby so much, we could yeah. go on the best holiday ever and be rich. <laughs> I could have nice bags and shoes. Mm-hmm. Nicer bags and shoes, I should say. But yeah, um, yeah thankfully, Neil administered the first subcutaneous uh, injection. And I was sort of looking in the other direction and saying, OK, just let me know when it's done. And he'd already done it. And I didn't feel a thing. So I thought, okay, it's not so bad. I'm lucky. And after that, I was just on a roll. So, you know, yeah. you know, all the stories. Amazing about, how quickly you yeah, get used to it. Exactly. Doing it in restaurants and kind of loading up and reconstituting uh, in random bars and people knocking on the door thinking you're taking forever for another reason. But it's not as exciting, unfortunately. So, yeah, I think um, that first cycle was just really overwhelming. And then... I went to the private clinic and that was a different level of intense. And actually the clinic I went to, the nickname is IVF boot camp. I've heard a few people call it that. And that's sort of how it feels because for a month, your life is on hold from the first 10 to 14 days you're being stimulated. So you're in every day for blood tests and scans, sometimes twice a day. Then you have to wait around for two, three hours for them to call you. Um, after that, you get a prescription. Yeah, you have to make sure you have the right meds. They'll tell you you need to take it right now. So in the next 15 minutes or the next two, three mm-hmm. hours, it's all you. If you're a planner, it's it messes with your mind a lot. So it's, it's very Surely intense. You can't, you can't do anything no. else. You just have to camp outside the place. Basically. And just... Yeah, I thought that. I read something about milk. What was the thing <laughs> about milk? Yeah, I had to drink a litre's cow's milk a day. What? Yeah, it was ridiculous. I, that was my reaction when they told me, like, what? Why? For the protein, Come I believe. Again? What? Yeah, but I, I eat meat and fish and everything, so, you know, it's fine. And that wasn't even the worst part. I was told to stop exercising altogether. So I'm someone who loves spin class and hit and being active, and they said, no, none of that. Not even spin at 50% uh, uh, capacity, I was going to say. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but yeah, Intensity. just walk. That's about all you can do. No yoga, no, definitely no swimming. What? Why not? Yeah. I think probably the type of women who visit that clinic tend to be yeah. high achieving, high strong. Type A's. 
Yeah. And so mm. you have to tell them maybe don't run a marathon while you're being stimulated and during your two week wait. <laughs> yeah. Just take it easy. This is your time. So the nurse actually yeah. said, you know, most people are quite happy to hear that uh, you're not allowed to exercise for a month. But I was quite disappointed personally. Yeah. Well, it's good for your mental health as well, right? It's kind of, yeah. you know, it's an important part of your process. Exactly. Um, speaking of mental health, um, I know that, you know, even after two failed rounds, you kind of, you've spoken about the ability to kind of get this positive outlook when you were going towards your third. How did you do it? And how did it kind of impact your kind of going through that third round? So for the first couple of rounds, I was working full time, but I had a job which allowed me to be quite flexible. I told my bosses about it. I was up front and I was lucky that I got great reaction. They were both very supportive and that helped a lot with needing to attend meeting uh, appointments. You don't know. It all depends on your body, of course. For the third round, that was a bit different because I wasn't working and I was familiar with the private clinic. So everything that felt too much before, this time I knew it was coming. And so I could prepare myself and I could fully focus on the cycle because I didn't have any distractions of work and emails and chasing clients. And I know that for some women that distraction helps, but I personally saw it as a hindrance. I just didn't want to think about files and deadlines and submissions. So um, I was able to just sort of embrace the process, borderline enjoy it, I guess, because I was grateful to be there. I wasn't fighting within myself. I I was quite angry for the previous round. I still hadn't accepted that we were on this kind of fertility journey, to use that word. So that helped a lot, I think. And from Neil's perspective, he said that because I was a lot calmer and a lot more positive, it was easier for him as well. So, yeah, he, he, he has been really very supportive. And because I was so up and down emotionally with the previous rounds, this time I was a lot more stable and um, it made things easier for him and so I guess he was able to then address his emotions this time there was space to do so are you going to kind of capture that for the for the next round as well if you still if you still got hold of that kind of positive outlook I think so and I think the more I put out on uh, Instagram as well and the comments and the dms that I get and it really gives me a lot of strength I know that there's a lot of people out there rooting for us and giving us support and crossing fingers and toes and it helps during the tough times and obviously there are moments where I feel really down and you know you get quite bitter about the fact that you're having to go through this but Mm -hmm. at least we have access to these amazing services yeah. Um, Sital it's been really really lovely to have you on the podcast um we've got one more question left and that is what what is your advice to any listeners from the Indian community who are struggling with their options who are struggling to conceive like what would you say to them I think the main message for anybody struggling to conceive is to not feel like you're alone to not feel ashamed Mm -hmm. of yourself because it's not your fault you're not Mm -hmm. abnormal it's just something that your body can't do but there is a lot of advice and a lot of support out there so definitely start by looking at the HFEA they've got so many reports that I didn't feel strong enough and I wasn't in the right place to download at the time but now I've started doing that and going through all the data that they've collated and it's it is fascinating it's good to know more about your body and and what's available and how they're helping you there's helpful uh, clinic finder tools as well um and your lovely podcast there's so many other support resources so um Plenty of fertility podcasts, the TTC community on Instagram, uh, websites like IVF, Babbel, Fertility Health Hub, etc. 
Um, and then plenty of um, Asian run accounts as well on Instagram. So uh-huh. I, I would be happy to recommend those as well. And um, influencers are talking about it a lot more, which is fantastic. There was a beauty influencer, Nabila, who recently said, uh, discussed her fertility struggles as well. So I think that goes a long way towards normalising these conversations. But just don't be alone. And where can people find you on Instagram? I'm at Sablafair. So that's S-A-V-L-A-F-A-I-R-E. I I always have to think about that twice. Um, And And, it's the same handle. Yeah, so www.sablafair.com. And it's the same handle on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. And LinkedIn, which I probably should use a bit more. Oh, yeah, no one really uses LinkedIn. Shouldn't we all? No, (laughs) just when you're looking Um, for a job, really, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully, um, if anyone is out there, then they'll be able to get in touch with you. And um, yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it's been absolutely lovely. lovely. And hopefully we get to meet IRL soon. <laughs> I would love that. Now it's time for IVF. What the F? What the F? We talk about HPV, friends. We are indeed. We've just been Googling it because we're back in the park. As listeners may remember, we started here. Um, apparently, HPV can also be genital warts. I don't have those. Yeah, oh, well, I know that because a friend of mine has it and has the, the version where you can get genital warts. And I think that was a concern for her when she was pregnant because I think then it can be a bit of an issue. Well, I've got the, the kind that's like abnormal cells that can turn into cancer. All, all really nice stuff. It's all really fun and pleasant. Um, I had to have this biopsy of my cervix and it hurt so much it was like it was like pre-infertility so I wasn't really used to uh, investigations it was very unpleasant and that's I mean as a lot of us know things next to your cervix aren't aren't very nice no and biopsies aren't very nice either no. no anyway we've reached a windy area so we're just going to pause for a minute okay we we're out of the wind we are out of the wind we are nestling under a tree it's nature's studio <laughs> it's nature's recording studio um yeah so we asked professor tim about hpv and what it means for fertility and here's what he had to say so hpv is the human papilloma virus and um these this causes warts um, so people can obviously get warts on their skin but a certain type of hpv um, can be uh, picked up at the cervix and that is actually one of the predisposition viruses for changes at the cervix that can obviously lead to um, cervical cancer. So that's why all young women now, um, or teenage girls, will be having an HPV vaccine. It helps protect against them picking up um, the HPV virus during intercourse and therefore being infected at the cervix. That's also why nowadays for um, the smear uh, checking smear tests there's actually an HPV test that's done as part of that because it's recognized that if HPV is picked up at the cervix then if any cervical changes are picked up that might be more likely to lead on to problems compared to if the woman is HPV negative. Certainly um, just having HPV does not affect your fertility and it will not be causing miscarriages. If people have had significant cervical changes and have needed therefore to have um, parts of the cervix taken away, so 
cone biopsies, loop biopsies, things like that, then again, generally that doesn't affect fertility and certainly wouldn't be causing miscarriages, but it can make an embryo transfer a bit more difficult. So there are some things to discuss about that. But again, I think with the, um, with the, va- the HPV vaccine that's being given, that we'll be having fewer and fewer women going forward will be having problems with their smears and, and importantly, fewer people will be needing treatment to their cervix. That's, that's a very positive outcome. Well, that's the end of the show. That's it, guys. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed it, haven't we? We have. Is this the end of our walk as well? No, it's not quite the end of the walk, but we are going to have to maybe do a little trot to see if we can find the others. The men. The men folk. The men folk. Um... Next week, we are talking to the absolutely fabulous Sophie Payne. Oh my God, I love her so much. <laughs> She's amazing. Yeah, I mean, we we recorded with her. It was an evening. I was in a dark room, you were in a dark room. She was in a bright room with bright pink hair. Yeah, she totally shat all over us in terms of vibrancy. <laughs> she brought the energy. <laughs> um, so we will see you next week. Yeah, see you next week with Sophie. Oh, should we say some thanks first? Oh yeah. Um, thank you to Liz and Nick. Oh my God, so exciting, so exciting. Thank you to Sita. Thank you to Sita. Thank you to Acast. Big thanks to Acast and a big thanks to Professor Tim. And thank you to Hyde Park for lending us this uh, wild recording studio. It's been an absolute delight, mate. It's fucking glorious. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 